Hello and welcome to the 90 Minute Cynic Podcast. I'm your host Chris Gallagher and I'm joined by Christian Wolf. Pleasure to be here, gal. I hear you've got a joke for us? No, no, it's a joke. It's a bit of an annoyance um, because it's been glorious weather in Glasgow today and I've been dying to have a drink ever since I came home from work. But I had to drive to the podcast, so that's the kind of sacrifice I make for the... For the listeners out there, What's not that? having an alcoholic drink. That you said you had a joke. It just seems like no. It's more an anecdote. It's not really an anecdote either. It's to be honest, it's just you're annoyed that you couldn't get a drink. You probably don't get it because you're not Norwegian. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. Um, just like we didn't get Ronnie. That was good for you. That was pretty good. I know. Me. Uh, we are joined by two experts in their field. I'd, I'd say so. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to have both of them on. Um, we've got Stevie Grieve and we've got Matt Ryan. Which is a river in Europe. It is, yes. Uh, it, it, it was named after that. Yeah. yeah. Um, thanks for joining us, guys. No problem. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so, I mean, we're just going to kind of looking forward to Saturday. Obviously, it's the Scottish Cup final. It's the biggest um, date in the Scottish footballing calendar, I'd say. Um, Obviously, you're kind of well known in the Twitterverse and social media and stuff, um, Stevie. But can you just kind of give us a little insight into what you do overall and what your kind of role is? Um, so just now, I'm the head of coaching for uh, a large club in Canada called Burlington Youth Soccer Club. So we have players at the at the OPDL provincial level. Some will play, you know, scholarship level. Some will go national team, and then we go down to grassroots. So. I think in total, I'm in charge of about 600 coaches and um, about 6,500 players in the club. So it's quite a big club. Previously, I was in India for the best part of three years. Uh, fantastic experience. Did the telly. I've uh, written some books and stuff like that. So but generally, I'm a coach. And that's kind of where I always take my, my, my first thought on what we do from. Stevie, are you just trying to stay as far away from Scotland as possible in these <laughs> coaching roles? Or are you just banned? Is it? I'm just. I'm, I'm, I think I'm banned. To be honest, I think there's no sunny enough in Scotland, so there's no point in coming back unless the sun decides to start coming out on a more regular basis. So I'm kind of hoping for global warming to kick in, so I can come home. Oh, it's lovely just now, as you heard from my funny anecdote at, at the start. <laughs> um, I, well, <laughs> I don't know. Also on the other side of the Atlantic, slightly further south, is uh, Matt, um, surname that rhymes with River in Europe, Ryan. Matt, in terms of Obviously, um, we used to have the, the godfather of Scottish football analytics, Seth Dobson, in, uh, as part of the Sonics. He's, he's still alive. He's just not that involved anymore. But, you know, we had to go out and find uh, another American who, who likes his, his spreadsheets, his, his stats. And another American is just trying to, to ruin football for the real FIPA man uh, over here in Scotland. So, Matt, in terms of why Celtic and, you know, why, why football analytics for you? Well, uh, why Celtic? Uh, I just kind of stumbled into them. Um, I, I come from Irish ancestry, but um, I just kind of discovered Celtic, discovered their charitable past, and it just kind of was something that stuck with me. I actually found out later that some, some relatives down the line actually were Celtic fans, uh, but I didn't know that when I started following the club. Uh, as far as analytics go, um, it's always kind of something I've been interested in. I'm a huge sports fan, all types of sports. Uh, in American sports, it's a lot bigger now. Uh, analytics in sports, baseball, basketball, uh, even American football, uh, all those sports are using, using uh, analytics to try and find advantages over other teams. So um, being a big sports fan of, of those other sports, you know, I, 
I was interested to see if it applied at all to uh, soccer. And, you know, I found Seth's website and I found stuff like StatsBomb and um, other sites like that. Uh, but I found soon that basically Seth was, was pretty much the only one doing it for uh, Scotch football. So I wanted to know basically the answers to these questions that I had, you know, who has the best expected goals, um, who's getting the most shots, who's the best keeper, who's the best player in Scotland. And really at the time when I started doing all this, Seth was the only one doing it. So I just kind of decided to do it myself. I didn't really have a plan to, to write anything or anything like that. I really just wanted to know the answers for myself. And from there, it just grew to writing about it and <laughs> keeping stats for every game, both the uh, premiership and the championship. And I think what we wanted, you know, we wanted to bring yourself and Stevie on here for our, our cup final preview, just to, to just to do a, a little bit different in terms of what we usually do at the Cynics in terms of looking at maybe two specific fields that is maybe a little bit, you know, not as common in, in the Scottish media, uh, especially not in the mainstream, and really take a close look at what we can expect in just in terms of tactics uh, and also in terms of you know what the numbers will tell us uh, about the game on on Sunday. So, in terms of maybe starting a bit more on the tactical side, Stevie, first of all, I mean, tactics is just about shape and tempo. Why are you, why are you trying to complicate it more than you should be? <laughs> I, I, tactics is just shape and tempo, and, and that's all there is to it. That's why Spain, especially stuff, and Portugal have improved so much, and there's so many Portuguese managers doing well, Italian managers doing well. So, if it is just shape and tempo, then... Obviously, the rest of the world are doing it wrongly. So, but, but that's so that's what trying to, to confuse it. That's what Graham Spears says, uh, you know. Uh, but I mean, on a serious point, do you think? Well, we've had a few discussions, obviously, this season with with Cafro, with uh, with Pedro and his glasses, and to me, it seems that. Scottish football maybe specifically, and also in terms of both the coaching side of it and also the media side. Well, there isn't a great deal of tactical detail and, and, and stats for that matter in, in other leagues. There are a lot more than in the Scottish game. And even in, in similar leagues that, you know, you know, myself, I know in the Norwegian league as well, there, there is more, seems to be a lot more acceptance of more tactical discussions from coaches and in the media and, and, and so on. Why do you think that isn't the case in Scotland? Why is Scotland not as accepted of that yet? I think I think it stems from two aspects. I think one aspect is that Scottish society hasn't, in the sporting context, hasn't really evolved to thinking of new ways. I mean, if we take that we haven't qualified for anything since 1998, has there really been an inquest into the way we play? And if you look at this season example, um, Ian has tried to play in a slightly different way from what Robbie Nielsen did. And he's been panned for it. But if you if you take Matt's work and expected goals, you would see that there's two aspects to it. One is bad finishing, but also uh, horrendous goalkeeping in, in certain aspects. And I think if as Jack Hamilton Jack Hamilton had, had even an average season, Hearts would have more points. If the finishing had even been average, Hearts would be significantly closer to Aberdeen and Rangers. If you take St Johnston, on the other hand, Xander Clark has had a phenomenal season, and you could say that Stevie McLean, Chris Kane, Graham Cummings, Danny Swanson, their finishing has been far, far above average. 
the, the shots in Johnston higher up the league. So you can look at two teams and say analytically they're different. Tactically, they're both incredibly different. Ian's trying to implement a, a new way to play, which is more structured, to try and push Hearts further up the league, to play in a more sustainable manner, which will then allow you to integrate more youth players. St Johnston's style is more transitional-based, and for a journalist who may not understand, let's say, the intricacies of how Pep Guardiola plays, it's easier to, to criticise somebody trying to, to do that than it is for somebody to try and implement something which is very basic of a very standard, very flat 4-4-2 to defend the space, to sit deep, to play in the counter-attack. So being a pragmatist is... Being a pragmatist in Scotland is more applauded because it's safer, because it's not forcing anybody to think of anything different. If you go down a different route and it doesn't work, people will say, ha-ha, that didn't work, so you shouldn't try anything new. And I think when people stick their neck out and try and do something new, it's deemed as controversial. Yeah, no, and do you think there is, 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 is there a case of protectionism? Uh, obviously, you know, to, to try and to stop those new ideas to come in, both in the coaching side, but also maybe specifically in the media, because it's seen as a threat to the people who, who, okay, can who I do run I mean, the game. Yeah. We, we can see that as, as someone who's been following Scottish football my entire life, um, of course. I mean, the whole Largs Mafia thing, and we do things a certain way, and if anything different from that, um, is obviously seen as a sort of, of negative. Ronnie Dyla is a guy who you know gets con- consistently berated, but he tried to bring a specific style. Now it didn't work out for Dyla for a number of reasons, which is fair enough. Um, but anything different, I- I'm sure Stevie will agree, that is brought into Scottish football is is seen as as negative, and that goes for the national team as well. Um, it doesn't help um, the the managers not picking the the right players. What do you think on that? <laughs> I think that there's some valid points to that. I would say that, like, I've been going through the UEFA B licence two years ago and now the UEFA A licence. Um, I would say that when you have coaches coming through now, uh, I mean, there are coaches in my A licence group who are now managers, um, some at, I think, Scottish third division level, some in the Premier League, um, some were tutors, some were on, actually, in my group. And when you go through the course... There's no real discussion about tactical theory. There's no real discussion about um, different ways to get to the same end goal, which is obviously to win. So whether you defend 5-3-2 and you have wing-backs, maybe the far-side wing-back tucks in to make it a 4-4-2 rather than a 5-3-2. I mean, that would be something that I did um, fairly recently, which I don't know what the reaction would be if you were to do that with coaches or to do it with players who grew up in a more simple and linear system. So, Stevie, like, looking forward to the game on, on, on Sunday in terms of both Rodgers and McInnes what would you say are their you know the main tactical philosophies and how flexible are they in terms of changing things up if, if things doesn't work I think if we start with, with Aberdeen I think early on in the season they had a an inconsistent selection of lineups. Um, Adam Rooney was left out quite a lot, which I never understood. And Jaden Stockley came in, I think. They maybe tried to beef up the midfield and beef up the forward line a little bit more. Um, and I'm not sure it ever worked. And I remember watching sports team when I was home at one point, and they were, they were, Jonathan Sutherland and everybody was going, how good about somebody from Norwich was. I can't remember what the boy's name. Madison. But it was like overhyped. Aye, Madison. And it was overhyped because... He didn't really fit into their system. Aberdeen's system for the best part of three or four years has been based on really direct play, very fast wingers, um, pressing without 
in my opinion, much structure, but just putting you under pressure and chasing things down and, and being a bit physical in midfield. Uh, guys like Ryan Jack are quite mobile, so they get around and get in people's faces. But Aberdeen, when they're at their best, the days in and around the box, he doesn't drift, he doesn't really link the game. Johnny Hayes and, and Niall McGinn will try and get in behind as much as they can. And I think, is it, is it Graham Shinney, the left back, or Andrew Shinney? Uh, Graham um, Shinney. Like, yeah, um, I like him when he goes forward, but I think he can also play central midfield, which gives them a little bit of a variation because he can play narrower and give them more stability when they're attacking to recover second balls and things like that. So I think Aberdeen's system is possibly more rigid because of the quality of the players that they have and the profiles that they have is more direct, more linear, whereas Brendan Rodgers' system, you, you can... You can throw a, a number of formations at the team and they will adapt it because theirs is more based on a positional structure rather than just getting the best out of players. Like if you take Mikhail Lustig, you could be an attacking right back, but that leaves you 2v1 in the back and it's hard to press a back three. So if Lustig plays in the right side zone and uh, Simeonovic or Sviachenko, whoever plays in the left side zone, and you bring the ball as a back three, it's more difficult to deal with because Kieran Tierney is so technical and, and very quick going forward Scott Sinclair's best position isn't really as a winger or as a forward it's more narrow in between the lines towards the left side so on the left hand side you've got a decent amount of movement and rotations and obviously you have uh, Callum McGregor which I think has been a, a really good squad player this year who balances the team towards the left hand side so um, so Scott Brown will sit in front of what is effectively back three when they have the ball so Sure, Armstrong can go box to box. Guys like Paddy Roberts are obviously, when the play gets switched to the right-hand side, Paddy Roberts is incredible 1v1, can go both ways. I think he's he's predominantly left-sided, but can go down the right and use his right-hand side as well, so it makes it more difficult to deal with. But at the same time, if you if you try to do what Rangers did and play with two high full-backs and a diamond in midfield and try and press them, and you're too flat, too pressing a 3-1 build-up, foolish in most occasions so Celtic can change and adapt and I think there was one game that I sat and watched on Scout, which was the one against Motherwell um, and Motherwell I think were 3-1 up and Celtic changed to a 3-4-3 diamond and Motherwell never adapted their system because it was based on man-to-man -man marking. I watched the game against Inverness <laughs> I don't know why but you played man-to-man -man against Celtic Brendan Rodgers is such a good coach that they know already that central midfielders go wide and fullbacks go high and then if you play man-to-man -man, there's a big hole in the middle of the park so the way that Celtic can adapt and change their system is is the hallmark of an incredibly good coach which obviously Brendan Rodgers is Stevie, I was going to say that I mean, because I mean, probably the the main criticism of Ronald Dalla was that he wasn't able to adopt and he wasn't able to maybe change games or if if his preferred system didn't work, there didn't seem to be an alternative. Now, the reason why Brendan Rodgers can do that is it because he's just more tactically knowledgeable? Is it because he had more experience? Is it because he's able to communicate his ideas to his players? better you know obviously from the outside it's probably hard to for, for you to, to to judge that but in, in your experience you know why is you know how is why is Brendan Rodgers able to do that and maybe not run a Dyla in the same degree um without knowing much about Ronnie Dyla's previous experience I would say that Brendan Rodgers has been a coach since he was 20 so he's been coaching for 20 years. He, he worked predominantly with youth players. And to get youth players to play in a specific style of play, you have to be an incredibly good coach in terms of designing practices. But before all that sort of stuff, you have to understand your own methodology. 
Brendan Rodgers comes into this, a guy who's worked with world-class players like Luis Suarez, Steven Gerrard, a guy who's worked with youth players. So he can then tailor his information and the way he speaks to players and the information he gives them and the responsibility he gives to different levels. You have a young player like Kieran Tierney, who's, who I think under Ronnie Dyla was, was very good, and Ronnie Dyla was great to give him the opportunity and has one year more experience now that Brendan Rodgers has arrived. I think, from my point of view, one key difference between Ronnie Dyla and Brendan Rodgers' style of play is Ronnie Dyla's team were weak in defensive transitions. I don't think the recovery runs to get back into shape were great. I don't think they counterpressed particularly well. Brendan Rodgers has always had the accusation when he was at Liverpool and, and the subsequent jobs at Swansea that defensively they weren't the best. But it's very, very difficult to actually put in a defensive system which is based on you having... 60% of the ball, which is what he wants to do. So to actually have an organised defensive system is much more complicated when you play 60% position than, than when you play 40% position, which is clear. But at the same time, I think one difference which I think is key between Ronnie Dyla and Brendan Rodgers is that Brendan Rodgers has got two players who are significantly better than what Ronnie Dyla ever had. So you take Moussa Dembele and you take Scott Sinclair and put them in Ronnie Dyla's team, Ronnie Dyla's team looks so, so much better. Yeah. Um, to obviously, the Scottish Cup finals on Saturday, it's a massive game. We're all, you know, predominantly Celtic fans. Um, but from an Aberdeen point of view, obviously we've seen Celtic and we've seen them at their kind of dominating best. But if you're an Aberdeen fan uh, or you're a McInnes, how do you go about, you know, how would you go about trying to stop Celtic? I know that's easier said than done, but would there be a game plan that you could see maybe working for McInnes and Aberdeen? Yeah, I do. I think I, I would play kind of a flat four-five-one. I would make sure that McGinn and Hayes were always trying to just attack the spaces on the outside of, of Tierney in transition and trying to get on the outside of Lustig in transition. I would say that maybe have one midfielder who plays kind of towards Aberdeen's left side, so Celtic's right side, who joins in the attack. I would probably have somebody like Ryan Jack playing right side central midfield so that when Scott Sinclair rotates into that zone, that he's picked up. Because I think when Kieran Tierney goes on, or go, when he goes to try and run forward, he needs to be tracked. But you don't always want McGinn or Hayes tracking him. At the same time, you do need him to track to a point. So his starting position maybe has to be deeper so that he runs on to you. And then you can arrive earlier on the counter-attack in transition rather than starting higher and being there. Which means that you might be caught flat in transition. So if you lose the ball, then the gap for Sinclair and Tierney is always there. And maybe Stuart Armstrong, maybe Callum McGregor can float around that zone and it makes it difficult. So I think from a starting point, I'd play a flat 4 5 1. I'd have the left sided um, central midfielder be the one who joins in in transition. Um, whether it's somebody like Kenny McLean, I'm not entirely sure. But I'd specifically, I'd want to try and block Celtic's left hand side. Then I'd be really wary about allowing them to recirculate play through either Simunovic or Scott Brown from left to right and then look for the big switch to the right-hand side because when the switch comes, you have a qualitative superiority for Celtic. So you're going to have somebody like Paddy Roberts against Graham Shinney, who's a good player. But I think Patrick Roberts 1v1 is a better attacker than he's a defender. So then you have to make sure that your left-sided central midfielder is able to go over and cover the cut inside to deal with the 2v1. So then if you can prevent the cut inside in the 2v1, then you can deal with that. The problem then you're going to have is if Patrick Roberts has Lustig going in the overlap or he has somebody in an attacking midfield position or if Stuart Armstrong was to play right side central midfield for Celtic, then you have his box-to-box runs going behind the fullback, which means that if Paddy Roberts receives the ball, say, 40 metres from goal, 
and there's a slipped passing behind, you can then be exposed in the box. So you have to make sure that when the switch of play comes, that your midfield shape is wide enough to deal with the switch, but you have to be tight enough to the left-hand side to deal with Kearney's overlaps, to deal with Scott Sinclair coming inside, to deal with the movements of maybe McGregor or Brown or Armstrong, because we don't obviously don't know who's going to play. Um, and then I think when you win the ball back, you need to be quick enough to either get the ball to feet, to run with it, or to try and play really quickly into space. So to try and be in what I would call the pre-transition phase, where you know the ball is going to be turned over for your team, and then you start running earlier so that you can get behind earlier. Um, so I think for Aberdeen, it's a difficult task because Celtic are obviously so good, but if you allow Celtic to dominate on the left and then start circulating play and switching it to the other side, then you sort of put that Borussia Dortmund play a little bit down the left-hand side, six or seven passes, then boom, switch your play, and then Usman Dembele comes into the game and you can't really stop the guy. Um, Bayern Munich are a little bit similar, maybe David Alba will play on the left-hand side, a few passes, then switch your play, and then you end up at Aryan Robin. Patrick Roberts does a similar-ish job to those two players. So there are precedents which you can look at from the past. Aberdeen could set up in a, a really wide defence, 5-4-1, but with a narrow midfield four. And then you could have two sitting midfielders who screen and make a 3-2 in the middle, and you could go man outside. So you could have Hazen McGinn man-marking uh, attacking fullbacks, and you could have Celtic's fullbacks tucking inside with the wingers. And then you could have whoever Aberdeen's two central midfielders are pushing on a little bit higher. Because I think Shea Logan could deal with moving inside with Scott Sinclair. So you could have like a mixed system where you play man-to-man on the outside and zonal in the middle and try and control the middle spaces but then deal with 1v1s on the outside and maybe commit a third player over try and deal with the cut inside of the space or the extra ability that Celtic have. And I think, Stevie, I mean, just listening to you, like, you going through the options and, and the arsenal and, 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 and actually attacking power that Celtic has, I almost feel hopelessness on, on a part of Aberdeen just listening to it. You can imagine in terms of how difficult Celtic are to, to play with and stop this season, because as you say, they're just, they have a superior manager who knows the system and they also have superior players. Now, the, the the teams that you know have have kind of in periods made it difficult for Celtic domestically. I think I think one of the games where you know Celtic did really face somebody who was foiled, but it was you know the, the first Hearts game at at Celtic Park. But what was kind of what I, we kind of saw in that game was that while Hearts had a plan, they maybe had a too ambitious plan to able to stop Celtic because when they actually got the ball. They didn't have the, the the quality to to actually do something about it, or they were too tired, and the Celtic already run them ragged. They they were kind of like watching a a really poor quality Borussia Mönchengladbach coach in that game. So do you just think that Celtic's just got too much firepower for any team in Scotland? Just because the way you have to play against Celtic is you actually have to have a lot better players in order to to play around them. Uh, I mean, you, you could level that accusation at any league in the world. I mean, Barcelona lose in the league, Bayern Munich lose in the league. I think even Juventus lose in the league. It's not always about how good your players are, it's about how good your strategy might be and how good are the players you've got to fulfil this strategy. I mean, in my opinion, if you defend on the edge of your box against Celtic, Brendan Rodgers are a good enough coach that they will be drilled. How do you play zonally against a, a zonal block? How do you play against a man-mark, a man-marking midfield 
unit or how do you play against a team which plays man marking outside zone in the middle he will then have drilled the players across the season about how to adapt to all these things and adapt to the shape so that's going to be an, an instant problem but at the same time if you defend relatively high against Celtic maybe you start your defensive line at 35 metres Celtic are going to have to push you back by maybe playing some longer passes which means that maybe Aberdeen who they have two or three very physical defenders I mean if Andy Considine was to play left back instead of, of instead of Shinny for example, maybe he can compete a little bit more physically with high balls or fighting for aerial aerial duels, if you like. So I think there are different ways where Aberdeen could set up, but Celtic have better players. Celtic arguably have a better system. Um, I think that if Aberdeen were to use their key players as well as what they can, then I think that they're going to cause problems. If they get McGinn and Hayes running down outside of the two centre-backs and Adam Rooney just hanging around behind them and looking for early balls behind, the problem you get is in Celtic's players, do they become a little bit anxious? Do they stop moving forward so quickly? Do they play a few more safe passes in the wide areas, which can be pressed? Or do they continue starting trying to be um, positive and control the middle? So I think if Aberdeen were to early on no, do the, the thing. I, I mean, my friend Stephen McDougall that I work with in the office always says that when he played for Dunfermline, they used to just say against Rangers Celtic, I turned them really early. I think there are games where if you start with your two wingers really high in transition once Aberdeen win it or they arrive really high on the outside shoulders of the centre-backs, if Aberdeen can get the ball behind them and just put balls across the box really quick or attack the box really quick, maybe make a 3v2 or even a 3v3 enter in the final third, then there are going to be chances for them. If somebody, like I said before, at Kenny McLean was to come from left-side central midfield, rather than the number 10 position, he might be able to arrive late, moving across different zones, which means that somebody else might have to pass him on, which means, I mean, it's easier to follow somebody than it is to pass somebody on and make sure everybody's communicated. So Aberdeen have got and and Stevie, I think in in terms of as you say, I think the you know, you know the way to get a Celtic is have you know aggressive wingers getting in behind, which is you would think would play into McGinnis's best players. You obviously McGinn and, and Hayes on each side, who you know specifically those kind of players. Why do you think McGinnis has been? totally outfought and out you know maneuvered by Rogers in, in all pretty much all five games this season he hasn't really been close to beating Aberdeen in, in uh, beating Celtic at any point is is McGuinness is he not choosing the right options or is he just not as I think not a great manager <laughs> I think saying he's not a great manager would be harsh because the job he's done with Aberdeen has been incredible. I mean, that's when when he joined Aberdeen were ninth. And now they're easily the second best team in Scotland. They, they they beat Hearts, they beat Rangers, they beat everybody else fairly regularly. They maybe struggle a little bit about against Celtic because Celtic seem to be able to deal with the, the directness of Aberdeen a little bit better than some players. Maybe the concentration is better, maybe the technical ability to deal with high balls or to, to regain possession on the second wave is a little bit better than, say, playing against Dundee. So I think if you're going to play really, really direct against teams, there may be some games where that doesn't actually work because the opponent are better at dealing with the attack and transition than, than what you are. I mean, I remember speaking to, to Cathro about 
um, Rio Ave playing against Benfica and they would restart possession after winning it to provoke pressure to go through diagonally to break the two central midfielders. So their their attacking transition would be moving backwards, maybe 15 yards for two passes before they could go forward. Maybe Celtic are better set up to deal with the first pass in transition than what Aberdeen are. So maybe Celtic's positional structure allows them to cover the spaces earlier than what Aberdeen would like. So maybe there must be a different way to move the ball. Now, without having sat down and done the analysis of, of all the matches, I couldn't really say, but what I would what I would put forward to people would be that Celtic are unbeaten for a reason. I mean, they were unbeaten against Man City in the Champions League. They've, they've done well in one of the matches against Barcelona. I think Brendan Rodgers learned a lot about the game at the Nou Camp, but their midfield was too narrow and their defence was far too narrow and it gave Barcelona the sides. I think he must have learned a lot from that because the way they defend now is a lot wider, which they've done against Munch and Gladbach and Man City. Derek McInnes hasn't really had those opportunities to be under pressure in massive games in Europe, which I think you know more Scottish coaches need to be exposed to to try and come up with new solutions against different types of problems. Yeah, um, we're not going to keep you too much uh, longer, Stevie, and we really thank you for getting involved. But just uh, so one question, see from a mentality point of view, um, Celtic have obviously beat Aberdeen five times this season and they've already beat them in a cup final. Um, Aberdeen haven't played particularly well when they've been at Hamden. If you were in that jet dressing room, would you do Would you do something from a personal point of view to try and G them up? Um, obviously, you've been running the drills for what you're going to do from a tactical point of view, but how do you get that winning mentality in? Is there any tricks that you know? I think from, from speaking to different people, getting into the the mentality that you can beat somebody. not And in, in trying to erase history is not going to happen. But to try and to, to show Celtic's weaknesses, to show their deficiencies, to show an example of one player doing something which was successful in a match. Um, and do you know what? It might only have been one time when you did it in a match. I mean, I did my B licence with Scott Brown and, and given him elastico and went by him and played a through ball on my left foot. If you showed me that in a highlight deal, I'd believe that I'm going to beat him. I might have only done it once and I might have been just messing around. But at the same time, you can use that as something to give evidence that a player should have the belief that they can beat somebody. If you show them a bunch of videos where they've lost 5 now, you're never going to believe that. But if you show little aspects of Kenny McLean, nutmeg and Scott Brown, for example, Kenny McLean might feel like, do you know what, I can get the better of him. So there's, there's an element where you can show evidence where you can, you can beat these players. If you press like this, if you defend like this, if you attack with the ball in these manners, this is how you can beat them and show them the evidence. If Scott Brown, for example, puts all of his weight in his right-hand side when he goes to, to defend and you fake and you cut onto his left-hand side and he can't defend that side, for example, then you can expose that. But it's a, I think a lot of it's about showing ways where the players believe, actually, I see that and I can do that and that's how we're going to exploit them, irrespective of if they're better players or not. Um, just one final question. Uh, prediction? What is your predictions for the Scottish Cup final 2017, Star? I think Celtic will win 3-1. Goal scorers? Got any goal scorers for us? Um, I think Scott Sinclair will probably score. and I'm going to say Semyonovic will get one from a set piece. Stevie, um, again, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, obviously, as you know, you have your own uh, podcast on the World Football Index, uh, the tactical podcast as well, highly recommended. Stevie obviously has a column for the the supplement. Of course, uh, every two months, uh, highly recommend to go over and read those. Um, you know, those kind of analysis Stevie puts in. It's you won't find anything as detailed and as uh, high level as that in anywhere else in about Scottish football and, and in Scottish media and, and social media. Uh, we think anyway. So, Steve, we we 
we're not going to keep you any longer. We hope we have you on maybe a bit more next season. Maybe talk some Champions League tactics and, and football when, you know, obviously Celtic surely qualify for that. Maybe some about Maginus's my, my uh, European experiences because there haven't been too many of them, as you said, as well, and what Aberdeen should maybe do in Europe. But thanks again, Stevie. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we hope that, uh, you know, it stops snowing in, in Canada soon. So, Matt Danube, sorry, uh, Ryan, um, famous river. Yeah, the go uh, my anecdote. In, in Europe. Yeah. Um, Matt has been writing some uh, superb stuff for us for the, the supplement, which you can get on 90minutesinic.com. Uh, the first one is available on uh, PDF, and number two and three um, will be coming soon. Yeah, we've, we've locked um, Christopher Bowd in the room, and he's only getting... A little bit of water until he finishes uh, well, edition a, two and three. He's a vegan. He's, he's a vegan. He, he'll go on. He'll live on the air for a couple of weeks. He's just that. But um, Matt also has the back pass rule, um, which is terrific. Um, does all stats and analytics for Scottish football. In the past, I have been quite sceptical. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Some, um, some will say um, downright rude. Um, a bit of an arsehole. Uh, I apologize. That's just your Twitter persona, though. Did, You're lovely in real life. In real life, I'm really nice. I did apologize to Matt. Did you? Um, on on the, one of the podcasts, and I apologise in person again um, because. Uh, <laughs> well, I, believe me, you were probably one of the, the the nicer criticisms that that I've gotten on the blog. So you know, definitely didn't take it personally or anything. No, of course not, because I, I didn't mean it personally. And the thing is, it is just trying to get into a new kind of perception of how you look at football. Bowd was very receptive, receptive to it, to it from the very start, the very get go. Um, That's because Christopher Bowd is an amazing human being. Right, yeah, okay, so. rein it in, pal. Rein it in. Uh, but Matt, um, what have you since you've been covering um, Scottish football? Now, obviously, we'll, we'll get to the the kind of Scottish Cup um, and Celtic and Aberdeen this season because I know you've got lots of stuff on that. But when you were getting, you know, from an analytical point of view, other than Celtic and Aberdeen, who's been the standouts um, in terms of teams? Who, who who stood out? Or who's done better than they probably should have? Yeah, so uh, two teams probably stick out in mind most to me. Uh, first is St. Johnstone. Um, they actually had a negative expected goal differential. Um, I believe they had they were around seventh or eighth uh, in the league in expected goal differential. So um, most teams, you know, successful teams have uh, a positive expected goal differential. Uh, so I kind of looked into them and found that. Basically, it's their defensive shape. You know, they allow a lot of shots. They have so they have a decent amount of shots, but um, mostly they allow a lot of shots, which would you think would be bad. But most of those shots are from distance. They're they're low probability of scoring. They're um, not shots that you know are going to go in that often. Uh, in fact, only I believe Celtic and I believe uh, Rangers had a lower. Um, expected goal allowed per shot. So that was, you know, is it it's kind of been a mystery for a lot of people why St. Johnstone are so s- successful year after year, despite you know having a small budget and maybe not being great statistically. Uh, but I was able to kind of look into it and see uh, maybe answer that question a little more. Uh, the other one is uh, Park Thistle. Uh, they have just been really good defensively, uh, or at least up until the the split happened. Uh, they were, you know. They, I think behind uh, Celtic Rangers and St. Johnstone, they were allowing the lowest uh, expected goals against per shot. 
Uh, they had one of the better expected goals against in total. Um, and I think a lot of people were surprised that they finished in the top six, especially since at one point they were um, last. They were at the bottom of the table. But even when they were at the bottom of the table, their expected goals kind of pointed that, well, this is just kind of um, some bad luck on their part. They should improve as the year go- goes on. And they did. They finished top six. So I think those two are kind of examples of, of some teams that maybe were a little surprising this year. And I think, Matt, you, you kind of touched upon one of the main points around expected goals is that it's, you know, it's, it's as any stat category, it's not perfect. But I think what in, you know, us in the analytics community, the ones enjoy doing the, the stats, one of the things about expected goals, I think one of the main benefits of it is that it's, it's proven to be a better predictor of future result than points or, or goals scored or, or or even shots in terms at least over, over a smaller sample so is you know and, and Partick Tissel was a very good example of that this season because when they were at the bottom of the league their underlying numbers indicated that you know if they keep doing those kind of numbers they're highly likely to start gaining points and and that's what happened with, with Partick Tissel as, as well and um, I think Matt in terms of Celtic and Aberdeen. You know, we talked a little bit about Steve about the games that been played between the two teams this this season. And if you just look at the results, obviously Celtic have been dominating. But I think even if you look at expected goals, you know, Celtic have been dominating again. You know, there's, there hasn't been, you know, it's no coincidence. There's no fluke that Celtic has won five games out of five against Aberdeen. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. So uh, out of all the the matches, Celtic have statistically held a pretty strong advantage in pretty much every stat. Um, expected goals for the five games, uh, Celtic averaged 1.86, while Aberdeen averaged 0. 0.93. Um, the biggest difference was actually in the League Cup final, where Celtic had goals of 2.5, while Aberdeen had uh, expected goals of 0. 0.54. And even in, in shots, you know, Celtic was only outshot the last uh, match at Aberdeen, uh, but every other match they had a pretty significant uh, number of shots higher than Aberdeen, uh, more shots on target every match in the season, and obviously, you know, the quote-unquote stat that only ma- the only stat that matters, uh, goals, Celtic had the advantage there as well. And in terms of, obviously, you put a lot of these numbers into a, a big, scary machine, Matt, and you come out with, you know, prob- the probabilities uh, for certain, you know, the games. So, so what Matt does is, is he has his own prediction system called uh, Burley after the the stat lowering uh, ESPN commentator Craig Burley. And and in terms of, I don't of, like Craig Burley. And nobody likes Craig Burley. Um, Good player. We're actually Christian and I are blocked by uh, Craig Burley <laughs> yeah. on Twitter. What did he call us? A, a run-in with him. So uh, he unfortunately isn't following what. What Burley's predictions are each week anymore? What, what did Craig Burley call us again, Matt? Uh, I believe he called us Winkleberries. Winkleberries, and that's everything you need to know about why I hate uh, <laughs> Craig Burley and his uncle, who have tried to wreck the national team as well. Um, and he, he also um, scored against Norway in the '98 World Cup. Yeah. So, oh, so, who hasn't scored against uh, Norway in yeah, the World no, Cup? Okay, you, you Norway. Quiet down there, Klinsman. Uh, but in terms of the, the probabilities, if you look at you know the probabilities, you know we can obviously you, you can't just look at the numbers in terms of who do you think will win against Celtic in Aberdeen. But if you just ran the numbers in terms of probability on Saturday's game, what did Burley come up with? 
So uh, usually for Burley, I use uh, an average of a team's expected goals total or, or their average expected goals for the season, uh, the league average expected goals for the season, and then depending if a team is home or away, you know, their average home or away expected goals. But since it's being played at a neutral venue, uh, I used instead Aberdeen and Celtic's last five matches, their average expected goals, and both were, were pretty high. Um, Celtic's, I believe, was around three, and Aberdeen was around 1.8, which are, you know, very is pretty impressive in itself. Uh, with that, uh, putting those numbers into the Burley, Burley came out with a Celtic with a 56.2% chance of winning. Uh, Everdeen had an 18.2% chance of winning. And then he also had a, a 20, almost 26% chance of it going to extra time. So, um, I mean, I think Burley has been pretty successful this year. Uh, last I checked, I haven't checked in a couple of weeks, but he was predicting about 60% of the game's right. So that's obviously promising for Celtics uh, going into Saturday. Okay, uh, Gal has a confused look on his face, but are you? No, <laughs> no, I, I, under, I understood okay. um, that Craig Burley is a football player, right? No, <laughs> no, of course I understand that. But um, f- see, from a from an, a danger point of view, from a expected uh, goals point of view, who's the standout for Celtic going into Saturday? Well, uh, if he's healthy, it's it's Musa Dembele. But even if he's not healthy, then they have a pretty good backup in Lee Griffiths. Griffiths has been really good um, the last two years for Celtic and, and even this year you know he's only played in the league uh, around 1400 minutes but he's got 10 goals uh, 10 non-penalty goals he's got eight assists and that ha- that's a goals plus assists per 90 minutes which is a kind of a standard way to measure things to take things out of like minutes played uh, out of the equation of 1.28 which is actually the highest at Celtic you know it, it might be due to him playing a lot less minutes than someone like Dembele or Sinclair but I mean that's still a very impressive total um, he also has the um, one of the higher uh, expected goals per 90 which is uh, 0.51 only uh, let me see who's that only Dembele has a higher one uh, this season in the league. So, you know, if Dembele, I, I would prefer to have Dembele out there from a Celtic point of view. Um, I mean, he's just, he, he's an incredible player, someone that I don't think we'll see again, unfortunately, again in Scotland, or if we do, it's, it, it's rare. But, but Lee Griffiths is, is a great, you know, almost the perfect replacement to have for him. You know, he gets a lot of shots off. He, he gets a lot of good quality shots off. And, you know, he's, I think between him and uh, it's likely to be Adam Rooney starting for uh, Aberdeen, I think you know the advantage definitely goes to Griffiths. And then I think obviously you're talking about Adam Rooney there, uh, Matt, but we've talked a little bit about on the poll before about Johnny Hayes, and obviously Johnny Hayes was one of the five one of the five nominees for, for Player of the Year in Scotland, which is and rightly so. And and uh, well, he's got a lot of ridicule, but he's. He's just just even looking at his numbers, Matt. His numbers are very impressive this season, Johnny Hayes. Yeah, I think I think he deserved a place in that that final group of, of player of the year. Now, I also think Brown should have been in there. You know, who do you take out for Brown is kind of a tough question. But I think Johnny Hayes has been has been one of the best players in Scotland, and, and certainly the best player not on Celtic this year. Um, he ha- actually has. So I did a post on my blog about expected assists that kind of measures. Um, you know, playmakers, not players who are taking the shot, but players who are passing to lead up to that shot. Um, and it measures, you know, what type of shots these playmakers are, are making passes that lead to. 
Um, and he actually has the highest expected assist total in the league, higher than Sinclair, uh, higher than anyone else in the league. And actually, uh, Niall McGinn on Aberdeen as well has the second highest total. So those two are really the kind of creative force behind uh, Aberdeen. And then Christian and I have actually been working together um, with uh, Strata, Strasport, the uh, company that provides us with data on a, on a whole bunch of different leagues. And we kind of we have put together uh, our expected goal total, expected assist total, and then what I actually wrote about for the supplement, uh, expected secondary assists, which uh, Scott Brown has a very good total, and that was one of my articles about. Uh, but it, it, but um, Hayes and McGinn have the second and third highest expected goals, expected assists, and expected secondary assists, which <laughs> there's a debate about what we're going to call that, either uh, expected gap or expected cast. Well, I, I want uh, to call but, it pre-assist and Matt wants to call it secondary assist. So it's kind of when Yoko yeah. came into the Beatles. Uh, it's, 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 <laughs> the, the rift is quite high. But. Just so you're aware, it's called a secondary assist. Um, I want to ask about Lustig, because I would imagine that Lustig would have quite good secondary assists. <laughs> Yeah, he actually he, he actually is pretty high up there. He um, let me find his totals. Boom! I know stuff about stats. Yeah. <laughs> so he at Celtic, he has. Hold on, let me organize it. Get get your spreadsheet up, Matt. Switching back and forth between pages, you know. Let's talk about Lustig here. No, well, because like whenever Lustig comes out with the ball, he start he started hitting this he, from from way back in the middle of the season. He started hitting a crossfield ball towards uh, Sinclair, and so a lot of times if Sinclair's coming off that hand side, he's either hitting a shot or he is having an assist. So that's a secondary assist. Maybe yeah, exactly. So and he actually has the fourth highest total at Celtic. So only only Roberts, uh, Scott Sinclair, and the focus of my supplement article, Scott Brown, have higher totals. So I think you know you're exactly right. It's it's and that's kind of something that I think is important with stats. Uh, you know, you you thought that you know you you watch every week, you see that Lustig is a very important part to the buildup, um, and and the stats back it up. So I think that's important with stats to to make sure that they kind of meet the eye test. There's something that if there's a stat basically. That you know, that's crazy. That that can't be. Then it, it probably isn't worth you know a stat that yeah that's going to correlate to success. Because of that, that, I think that's the point, though, and that's what I think. You know, it's something I've started to do certainly, and it's something that people really need to do if they have you know instead of ridiculing stats, actually try to understand it. <clears throat> and because Christian mentioned the secondary assist the last time he was on, which was about two weeks ago, um, I, I, I was thinking about Lustig like I do every second of every day yeah. but you can just see in, just in a different way you can see the fact because from from that point of view you know if he's getting secondary assists he's only the, the only defensive player that's getting secondary assists people aren't looking at the full value in my opinion Lustig is going to go down as one of the most underrated players of you know the last decade or so and, and, and as you say Gal I mean especially when it comes to expected assist and expected secondary assist it's such a good stack category to have because an assist is so much dependent on whether your striker is or your the finish is good or not so it's yeah. kind of out of your hands you can play a great ball and get absolutely no credit for that in terms of an assist or you can poke the ball to somebody 50 yards out and you can get an assist for that well expected assist and expected secondary assist what we will call expected you know pre-assist uh after the show is obviously it tells you um it kind of gives credit where credit's due where you know more normal stats like assists wouldn't do, yeah. and that's the thing you, you you get more of a bigger picture of how people are are playing, and that's what Stevie was saying about um, 
you know, bad finishing is what's causing Cathro's sort of performance. And that's if if your playmakers or or if your midfielders are creating opportunities and they're not being taken, you you know it. That's unfortunate, and it's probably going to cost you your job. But if you actually go over the data and you actually go over the anal- anal- analysis, if you got, you know, and that, that, I'm assuming that's how they use, that's how the football clubs will say, well, you know what, we're creating so many chances, but they're just not being taken from I, them. I think that's what football clubs should do more and more. But football clubs, you, I think you'd be surprised how little analytics is actually used in football clubs. You, I don't, you, I don't you'd think, think so. you'd think by because it's getting more and more on Twitter and in the media. I think what we, I think it's a lot less than you think. So you know, I I think that's you can't make your decision solely on stats. You know that that be nobody's advocating that, and that would just be silly. But you should, when when you're judging a you know a performance over ten fifteen games at the start of the season, you can't just look at the results. You need to kind of look at what are the chances, what are the expected goals, what if if these if we keep doing the same things and you know creating the same type of chances, highly likely. You know, will will improve in terms of results. Yeah. So, so, so as you say, but but just circling back to to Aberdeen. Can, can I can I jump in okay, for a second? Yeah, we'll jump in then. Shut up. No, just before we get to the um, the cup final, which Hi. we want to kind of do a kind of small focus on. Um, one thing I would say, um, Matt, is would there be any way you could put a sort of indicator of like because if you compare Boyle's goals at Ross County, now Boyle has scored a ludicrous amount of goals yep. for 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 the club. Um. Now he, from an SPL point of view or Scottish Premiership point of view, would statistically be a, a viable option for a lot of clubs. But for us, he wouldn't. Would there, is there any way that, you're, from a stat point of view, you could put like a marker on someone in terms of expectation of club? Is that would, is that asking too much? Like, if you put an expectation to maybe focus on, with, you know, if you're scoring ten goals for Celtic, it's a lot more impressive than scoring. 15 goals for Ross County. Am I making any sense? Or is it the opposite? Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. And, you know, I might not be a good person to ask because I'm a big uh, Liam Boyce admirer. I actually think he would he would put up pretty similar stats to Griffiths if he was at Celtic just because um, the one thing that's that's transferable is, is he's, you know, he gets a lot of shots, but it's not that. It's that he gets quality shots. So, you know, I understand defenses will be more packed for Celtic, but he – it's kind of, I mean, he's obviously not a similar player to Dembele, but he just has that similar characteristic where he's able to get high quality shots. And more often, if, if a striker is able to do that, he is able to continue that success no matter what level he's on. But I understand your, your question kind of on a, a, a larger scale if, you know, playing at Ross County is going to be the same thing as playing at Celtic or even playing at a lower league, someone in the championship playing, making the step up to the SBFL. Um, there's at least not a lot of information publicly. I'm sure clubs that do uh, use analytics and stats have some ideas on how to do it. I kind of have some ideas as well. Um, maybe using uh, something like ELO just to kind of make a, uh, a comparison between leagues and then kind of base it off that. Um, but there's not anything really public because it's worth millions of dollars if, if you have the answer to that. So, so unfortunately, Unfortunately, no, nothing public that's really kind of as gospel right now and something like that. Yeah, um, maybe something that you guys could develop yourself. I don't know if you can put your mug But one thing I would say about um, Boyce is I don't know, you'd obviously know better than I would. I read a stat somewhere that basically said he hadn't scored against any of the top five, which means I think he's obviously scored maybe against Thistle, but he hadn't scored any goals against Celtic Rangers, Aberdeen, 
Hearts and St. Johnston. Is that true? Uh, I don't have that information off the top of my head. What I do know is he five of his goals have come from penalties, so that's why I do um, discount penalty goals because obviously that's not really a great indicator if you're a good striker or not. So, I mean, that is something that... That is. I mean, I mean, yeah, you know, outside the penalties is what I mean because he scored the penalty against but us. But it, it's funny you say that because I think there was an accusation laid towards both. I think Harry Kane and Lukaku this season that they had scored very little goals against uh, the top four or five in England as well. It was the same with Chris Boyd. Never scored against us. He never scored. You know, he scored a lot of goals for Kilmarnock, but they weren't always against your Hearts or your Aberdeens or Celtics. He would get he would get hat tricks against you know Hibs when Hibs were really poor and Dundee United and stuff. But against the kind of top top clubs, you never and and and, and, and something else with that is too. You know, you obviously you you want a player to be able to score against Celtic or Aberdeen or Rangers. You know, a top half club, but most of the, a team's games aren't going to be against that team, so you need him to be consistent week in and week out. So while yes, you know, you want someone who's going to be able to to knock in goals against those big clubs, you want someone who's going to be not going to maybe, you know, who mind whose mind isn't going to wander playing Kilmarnock on a on a rainy Saturday. Uh, so I think I think I mean I, I, it's been no secret that I'm a big fan of of Liam Boyce, uh, and I, I think he could be. But I understand your your point as a whole. So I, I think. Um... You've done a couple of articles on, on Aberdeen this season as well. Uh, and just in terms of where their attacking threats come from, is obviously we, we talked a lot about Johnny Hayes and, and, and McGinn, and maybe that Adam Rooney isn't, you know, you could maybe have a op- better option, a better finisher for, for, the, for the service that those two provide. But also a bit further down in midfielders, you, you've had a, an article about um, Ken McLean this season as well. Yeah, so Kenny McLean, he, he's been um, pretty impressive the second half of the season. The first half uh, is, from what I understand, uh, Aberdeen kind of had him playing deeper as a midfielder, not really giving him the opportunity to, to get into the attack. Um, and that's what my article found starting in late December. Once he kind of moved forward, he, he was able to influence the Aberdeen attack much more so. Uh, since I, when I wrote that article on Scott Brown on secondary assists, Brown was was leading the league, had the highest total in secondary expected secondary assists in the league. But since then, uh, McLean has actually moved ahead of him, and he has the highest total. Brown is second, so you know I think he's going to be a pretty important part of Aberdeen's attack if they want to have any hopes of upsetting Celtic in the Cup final. Yeah, I've been impressed with. Um... Kenny McLean's versatility, as you say, he kind of dropped a little bit deeper, and and from that transition point of view of um, getting, you know, taking picking the ball up deep and moving forward, but covering um, pretty well. Kenny McLean to me um, is going to be a danger on 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 Saturday in the Scottish Cup final. What are your kind of thoughts on how how do you th- even just as a fan, not even from a stats point of view, how how are you think how are you feeling about Saturday? How do you think it's going to go down? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident because I've seen, you know, how Celtic have played against Aberdeen. The one thing that gives me pause is the, even bringing stats into it, uh, both, you know, with my eyes and with the stats. Uh, the closest game that Aberdeen played against Celtic was their last game. And, and you know, they've been on, they've been playing just as well as Celtic has these last few games to close out the season. You know, they put past, or six past Park Thistle the last game. They, they beat Rangers for the first time in, in, Decades, isn't it? Uh, the game before that, so they're so they're coming in, you know, on a hot streak as well. Um, it it just seems like Derek McInnes just cannot figure out what to do with 
with Brendan Rodgers and West Celtic. Um, the, the League Cup final is a great example. You know, I think it was right after Celtic had just um, kind of struggled against Kilmarnock when Kilmarnock you know, pressed him pretty much the whole game. Uh, Celtic barely won. Um, but after that, the, in the League Cup final, uh, Aberdeen basically sat back. Celtic picked him apart. So um, I think we won't see uh, Derek McInnes and Aberdeen sit back. But I think just Brennan Rodgers will have something, you know, he'll have a, a, a tactical tweak to uh, that, that they may be not expecting. But the thing that always worries me with cup finals is, you know, anything can happen, basically. You know, you can dominate a game. Um, it, they, people always seem to be upset when you bring up that unexpected goals last year in the Scottish Cup semifinal, Celtic dominated Rangers, but, you know, some some bad penalty taking and, and you know, a, a great goal by uh, Barry McKay to, to in the extra time, uh, you know, Celtic lost and, and that basically ended Ronnie's reign. So, you know, anything can happen in these games, you know, a bad bounce, you know, you can play better than a team and still lose in one match. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident that, that Celtic are the better team. It's just... They, they have to have, you know, they have to make sure that they, they execute and that, you know, hopefully a little a little bit of luck on their side. So, so Matt, uh, it'll be the cup final will be on about 7 a.m. In, in, in Cleveland. Uh, you'll be well, it actually, it, it's 10 a.m. It's a, it's, a, it's a glorious 10 a.m. finish or a 10 a.m. start for, oh, so for this it, game. Is it 3 p.m. the cup final? I uh, thought it was... No, it's the cup final. Oh, it's a bit earlier. So... Yeah, we've got a thing in this country called tradition. Okay, French? Okay. <laughs> You also have Brexit, but you know. Um, no, I was gonna say about it, but obviously you you you're watching the game at the the, the local uh, CSC in in pub in in Cleveland. What are you gonna T- treat? TJ McIntyre's. Can I get a little little shout out for them? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I heard there's a lot of uh, stat fans in uh, TJ McIntyre's. I told I told them all on the uh, the email chain that that I'm going to be on, so they better be listening. And why are you going to trick your body to wear um, during this cup final? <laughs> That's great. So uh, Christian is referencing um, in in the last cup final against Hibs. Uh, well, the last Scottish Cup final, uh, there was a friend of mine who who just started following Celtic that year. Um, I decided the week before the cup final to try and tell him that you know it was a tradition, basically that we all wear suits like the team does to the cup final. We all wear it to the bar. And, and at first he was skeptical. He's like, what? You're, you wear suits? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, we do it. And I had a couple other guys, you know, tweet, tweet something about, oh, heading to the dry cleaners to pick up my suit, you know, ready for the cup final. And, and so he, he told, tells me, he's like, oh, well, I, I don't own a suit. I'm like, oh, well, do you have like a sport jacket? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I have a sport jacket. But I get a text a couple days later. He's like, oh, I think I'm just going to buy a suit. So he spent... You know, this prank cost him 200 bucks. Um, the, my, my other friend and I get to the bar early so we could see him walk in and see his reaction when no one else was uh, in suits. We're looking at Twitter. Uh, I see him tweets like a selfie with him in a suit ready, ready for the cup final in my suit. And we just I, I felt really bad at that point. So he shows up and he, he said the, uh, the old nine green at nine trick, like in Happy Gilmore, where uh, they make him. They make him go in a suit and go on to the ninth green when the sprinklers come on. Uh, so, unfortunately, I don't think he'll be there, uh, but we might wear suits in his honor on Saturday. I, I, I think we should hold, the whole pub should be in suits on, on Saturday. What, what I've just learned is that uh, Matt is uh, not a very nice person. <laughs> <laughs> um, there you go. Um, Good fashion advice. Yeah, predictions? Uh, I'm going to say 3-1 Celtic. Uh, I'm going to say the scorers are Griffiths with one, Armstrong with one, and then 
Lustig with a header to, to clinch it. I, I take that back, Matt. You are an intelligent, smart, articulate <laughs> man. Um, yeah. No, no, again, you know, uh, as uh, you know, we, we, we kind of you know, had to had to drop Matt when 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 Steve was talking earlier because the internet hasn't quite arrived in Canada yet, so yeah, you no. can only handle one person at a time. But as we said when when Stevie was on, that you know, Matt has his column uh, in the supplement uh, every other month, uh, you know, about analytics and stats. So. And that's something we, you know, at the Cynics and, and, and Supplement, we, we try to, you know, maybe provide something that a lot of the, you know, the media and the football media in Scotland doesn't. So all for free, premium content for free, premium content for free. Um, and, and again, as I said, you know, if if you want to read more about Stevie and Matt stuff, uh, go to Nightman Cynics and look up the first three editions of the Supplement, and you can read all there. As you said, Matt is on Twitter, both at the Backpass Rule and the Boy Matt. And he yeah, will... don't follow the boy Matt if you don't want to to see me cursing at uh, NBA referees because the uh, Cavs are in the NBA playoffs. So if you just want stats only, follow the back pass rules. If you're okay with me cursing at NBA referees, you know, making fun of other Atlantic Ten basketball teams, uh, then you know, follow follow both. Uh, Matt, one th- thing before you go, um, John McGinn, do you have any stats on him? Uh, I don't, so I don't have the passing stats uh, that I do uh, for the premiership for the championship, um, and I think that's where he would, he would, he would shine. Basically, I, I just don't think he's the the player of the year in the championship, though. I think uh, Cummings on his own team was better. I think uh, Stephen Dobby on Queen of the South basically kept them up by himself. Um, so, so I think I, I mean I think he's a good player. I don't know if he's better than anything Celtic have right now. Um, but I think if you went to some, somewhere like Aberdeen, or uh, I, you probably wouldn't go to Hearts since he's at Hibs. Uh, but you know, a club at that level, I think he'd do pretty well in the Premiership. So, so judging by Gal's face, uh, Matt, this is the last time you'll be on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> I'm back to calling you. You not being very nice, John McGinn is without shadow of a doubt the greatest football in the world currently. Even if it's just on form, just after Scott Allen. No, uh, I I personally think McGinn would uh, would be terrific, but uh, we'll see. Um, Matt, it's been terrific, and we'll definitely as as we come into a new season, we're going to have uh, more stat based analysis, and uh, that'll be your job. So be prepared. I, w- I want to know when the uh, the feature pod on uh, Norwegian football is is going to happen. So, so you yeah, know, just we can talk so... some. We can really. Break down some Norwegian football stats. You know, Lillestrøm. Did I pronounce that right? Rosenberg, Braun. You Sarsberg. pronounce you pronounce uh, Norwegian football teams a lot better than Gal. Um, uh, you also so. pronounce them better than they pronounce Scottish football teams, pal. Kalmanark. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Saint Johnston. Come on. Nah, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's been a pleasure, uh, and we'll speak to you next season. We'll get in, get involved with that. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. I think the scoreline talks for itself. I think uh, at the end of the day, it shows you how it was pretty much men versus boys at the end of the day. But uh, we're a great team. We're very, very close together, and I think it showed you again out in the park. Okay, so Mr. Mr. Wolf, that was our tactics slash uh, stats Scottish Cup preview. It was. It was. Uh, as I just said, something a little bit different. Uh, something we hopefully will try and do a little bit more. Uh, about in you know in next season as well. Uh, you know we've, we've, we have the pod, we have the supplement. We, I think we're going to try and do a little bit different things like this. You know, uh, expanding our premium content. You got to uh, expand the premium content. <laughs> content. Yeah. No. So again, as I said, both Stevie and Matt write for the supplement. Uh, as I said before, we'll hopefully have a PDF version of edition two and three out. 
uh, but go to 90 minutes Linux and check it out uh, there's lots of you know as I said we have tactics we have analytics we got a lot of Celtic history we got columns you probably won't agree with and and I, I, I do a couple of interviews as well yeah and, yeah. and somebody wrote about Mark Van Basten once and it's, it's all it's all around pretty good so I'm gonna I'm gonna get more and more involved in it as the as I'm gonna exactly. be in the next one and who knows we might get some more supplement writers on as well cause yeah if you're interested in writing for us uh, contact us at well just you know what just DM us on Twitter yeah, let's yeah let's, let's do that um, and we might, might get some more, more of the guys on uh, on the podcast as well uh, yeah I'll be the judge Christian Wolf, it's been an absolute pleasure. We are the 90 Minute Cynic. You can get us on iTunes. If you can subscribe to us on iTunes, just do a little search for 90 Minute Cynic. Subscribe and leave a positive comment if you like. That would be terrific. Um, we're also on Spreaker, speaker.com slash the 90 Minute Cynic. 90minutecynic.com for all your supplement needs. Absolutely. And we've got a huge backlog of feature articles and interviews and video interviews. Um, and you can, you know, get links to everything we've done. We're on YouTube as well. You can check out our YouTube with a lot of stuff about um, the Rebels winning the control of Celtic and Fergus McCann era. Um, we also, if, if you follow us on Twitter, at 90 Minute Cynic, that's where all these links are published. Not as much as we should be doing them, but hopefully we'll up our game at some point. Um, Facebook.com slash 90 Minute Cynic. Just at 90 Minute Cynic on Twitter and we'll, we'll you know, that's where it gets. Christopher Gallagher, what's your prediction for Sun Saturday? My prediction, you still don't know how to fucking hold a microphone. It's unbelievable. Uh, my prediction is three goals to one. So that's that's all the predictions so far has been three to one. Yeah, I think that's. I wonder what they expected. Um, goals, assists, um, secondary assists. No, they they expected uh, lustigness. Yeah, they expected listicness. <laughs> um, no, I wonder. I think that's probably a fair bet. I think that's what most people I've spoke to is um, 3-1. I'd imagine that Celtic will... I can't... If Celtic turn up and are primed and ready for it, which a Brendan Rodgers' team always tends to be, um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll go for throats. I'm not... We can talk about uh, kind of looking back at the season and stuff, and your, your point about whether Derek McInnes is... You know, I know that Stevie Stevie I, has to I, kind of no. Derek McGinnis is is a good manager. I does he's favorite. I, for, I, he's one of the favorites for the Sunderland job now. Yeah, he's a good manager. I don't think he has a lot more than what he's shown so far. I I doubt he can take the step up uh, to the Premier League. I doubt he's he would be able to do anything of sort in Europe for a bigger club. But hey, you know, yeah, I mean, that's that, like that, my opinion. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think um, someone like Jack Ross. Um, who has done miracles uh, at Aloha. He's done miracles at St Mirren and it'll be uh, interesting to see where his next move is um, and what he does. But, as I say, you know, the the point being we'll, we'll look back in the season and we'll have sort of preview of season podcasts coming up. Um, Christian, with pleasure. Thank you very much. Don't know why we're actually shaking hands in real we life. We are, with my left hand for some reason. Yeah. Um, Christian Wolf. We we like the left. Yes, we which do. You, which you should cons- consider on the eighth of yeah. June. Yeah. Um, what's your? Um, I am no. That's Sermani. What's your Twitter handle? A hell of a beating. A hell of a beating. Um, I'm Chris Gallagher at the Gallatron. We are the Ninety Minute Cynic, and we'll speak to you down the road.
Yeah.